a pleasure to be here. Uh, driving over the mountains from Reno this afternoon, it occurred to me, this is the camp meeting that God clearly attends. And once I got here, there's no question in my mind, I really miss the mountains. Uh, in Ohio, it is so flat, I can watch my dog run away for six weeks. Uh, I miss these mountains. Uh, uh, part of this deal with my kids, I've always been Mr. Bah Humbug uh, on pets, and so part of the deal with my kids, if we move to Ohio, I promise them, I'll let you get a dog. And so they got a dog, they named him Skipper, uh, not the name I wanted, I wanted to name him Repent. Uh, <laughs> so that I could walk through my neighborhood calling him, come, repent, come, repent. And I figured that way I could write the little mud off as a tax deduction, but I got, I got outvoted. Uh, but truly, thank you for including me and in all your fun this week. I am just so excited to be here. And big thanks to the camp meeting committee, uh, whoever you are, Teresa and Bud and others, uh, did an amazing job with all of the little details, including walking into my little room this afternoon and discovering two beautiful baskets. Now, I've gone to camp meetings before, and they have given me a basket, but this is the first camp meeting in my life where they actually had two baskets full of delicious food. It's an amazing, and I don't know if maybe they thought Cherie was coming and one was for her, but I'm not going to tell her that. Uh, they put wonderful food in it, including my favorite fruit, uh, peanut M&Ms. Uh, whoever did that did a good scouting report. They know me well. And my hotel's right across the street from the ice cream store, this is heaven, I'm telling you. God is here, and I am really, really thankful uh, to be here with you. And I look forward, uh, truly, to what God is going to do in us and through us together. Uh, and I just want to pray uh, at the outset of this experience together that God really will shape us uh, into his character in some really uh, life-transforming and significant ways. So uh, just join me, if you would, in prayer. God, thank you for this place uh, and for the sense that your presence is right here with us this week. And so at the outset, we just uh, surrender ourselves, our thoughts, our words, uh, everything that we are and aspire to be, we, we just surrender completely to you. And we pray that you would now meet us in these mountains and that you would give us a mountaintop experience and that as we leave this camp meeting together, uh, I pray that we will have a sense that the latter rain is here, that your presence has been among us. Uh, and so, God, whatever you would have us to do or to say, whatever you would have to do with our lives this week, we're just open to that. Uh, and we acknowledge your presence and your spirit uh, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, this week we are going to do the best we can to just sort of get right at the heart of the gospel and lift him up. Just want to declutter the gospel, if you will, and get right after it. Uh, my brother called a while ago and Sunday morning said, we're decluttering our lives. We've already taken three pickup loads full of junk down to Goodwill. 
Afe, his wife, has gotten rid of all of her dresses except for two, and I'm hoping by the end of the day she'll get rid of them too. We're just decluttering, and it feels so good. Well, by the end of the conversation, I was jealous uh, because I wanted to declutter. And that's when I remembered years before I had purchased a book on how to declutter your life. It was written by Ronnie Eisenberg. I remembered that much. I didn't read it, only a paragraph or two in Costco. But after my conversation with my brother, I set out to find that book, but I couldn't find it amidst all of the clutter in my house. Uh, the only thing I remember about the book, she says, the best way to get rid of clutter is to put it all into boxes, seal them up with tape, and put that day's date on the outside of the box. Uh, and then, two years from that date, go back. If you haven't opened the box, you don't need the junk. Just get rid of it. Don't even open it. Just give the box away. I thought that sounded like a pretty good idea. So I mentioned it to my wife. Woke up the next morning. She had written the day's date right there on my forehead. <laughs> Not real sure what that was about. Oh, I want to just declutter theology and get right at the gospel. So I'm going to give it to you in three words. The whole shebang in three simple words. Ernest Hemingway, the great author, was once having a conversation with some of his friends, and they asked him, how many words would you need to write a complete story? He thought about it and said, I could write a complete story in six words. No, no way. Yeah, I think I could. So they made a friendly bet. He worked on it. A few days later, he contacted his friends and reported, I now have my story. Six words. Here are the six words. For sale. Baby shoes. Never worn. He won the bet. A whole story. Six words. Tonight, we're going to cut the six words in half, give you the whole gospel. Three words. First word, guilt. Guilt. Scripture, of course, tells us, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Scripture also attests that the wages of sin is what? We are all guilty. Wow, there was a little chipmunk or something. This really is a true, bona fide camp meeting. First one I've been to. I hope you don't have snakes. And, and the bears kind of scare me. We were camping last week in Yellowstone in a pup tent. And then, I don't know if you heard, but a campground just outside of Yellowstone, there was a grizzly attack. My daughter kept asking, could we get attacked in this little tent at night by a grizzly? I said, oh, that's crazy. No, no way. Look how hard we look during the day to find a grizzly and can't find them. And no way. And then this report came out that way. And so I'm, anyway, but I totally digress. We're talking about guilt. We're all guilty. You never really understand the gospel until you understand our guilt. Every one of us, guilty, condemned to die. 
we were sitting around one Saturday night with nothing to do all night to do it when someone suggested, I know, let's play spin the bottle. Now, we were adults at this stage in our lives, and so we couldn't play it like we used to back when we were kids. Back when I was a little kid, the way we'd play, you'd spin the bottle, and then the girl had the option. She could either pay you a nickel or kiss you. So by the time I was 14, I owned my own house uh, (laughs) that I bought with nickels. Um, But we couldn't really do it that way, so we changed the rules up a little bit. We would ask a leading question, We'd spin the bottle. Whoever it pointed to had to honestly answer the question. Now, I thought it'd be really fun tonight if we could have sort of a mass confession and play a round or two of spin the bottle just everybody. So, I've got some of the questions that we asked that night, and you just raise your hand if you are guilty, okay? So, and I'll, I thought I had a pen, but I'll just keep scoring my head. Uh, first question we asked, have you ever cheated in school? Just raise your hand, nice and high. Very, very good. Oh, isn't this freeing? Isn't it just fun? Okay, so that's about half of you. Have you ever told a lie? Wow, very good. Everybody except those two in the back. And I know they're lying, so... Uh, uh, Yeah, have you ever cursed? Oh, my. Of course, you're like, what, San Francisco 49er fans? We've all cursed, haven't we? Uh, Have you ever had a naughty thought? Well, half of you are guys, so I know at least half (laughs) have had wayward thoughts that way. Uh, We could play this game all night and compile a really, really long list. And scripture is very clear that we stand before a perfect God who one day will hold us accountable for all of our sins. And in his moral economy, the wages of sin is what? We are guilty. Every one of us guilty. Now, I know uh, we spend a lot of energy a lot of times as Christians, particularly pastors, with image management. And you can tell in real subtle ways with preachers. Uh, For example, have you ever noticed when a pastor will refer to a television program, often he or she will preface that by saying, I was just flipping through the channels. Now, why would a pastor say that? I know because I say that all the time whenever I reference a TV program. I was just flipping through the channels and I was wondering to myself, why do I bother with that little detail? Well, I'll tell you why, because I don't want you thinking that I'm just sitting around watching television all day and so I couch the story to make me look as good as possible to suggest in between 15 baptisms and 32 Bible studies I had 2.6 minutes and so I was just flipping through the channels. Uh, The problem with that is in this case a lot of times it's not true. Sometimes I just sit down and watch TV. Bowl of Ben and Jerry's in the left hand, bag of Cheetos in the right hand, and I'm not flipping through any channels. And I'm not always watching three ABNs. Sometimes I get other channels. That's the truth, not a real flattering picture. That's the truth about every one of us. 
No matter how much image management we try to do, we are all guilty. And one day, we will all stand before a perfect judge. We will be held accountable for our wrongdoing. God will not allow sin to go unrequited. It was New Year's morning. My wife and I had been up till past midnight celebrating the new year, although it was a holiday. About five o'clock in the morning, we hear this loud thumping noise downstairs, like somebody was trying to break into our house. Uh, it awoke Cherie first. She jerked me away and said, what's that loud thumping noise downstairs? I said, what loud thumping noise, dear? Of course, I had to say it loudly to be heard over the noise. And then suddenly my wife has this epiphany. Oh, I know what it is. It's some axe-wielding, mouth-foaming, bloodthirsty maniac who's escaped from the maximum security penitentiary running around our neighborhood chopping people up into little bits. Go check it out. <laughs> I was about to, and then I remembered, this is the age of equality. Forget that. I said, you go check it out. She said, I couldn't possibly. I haven't put on my makeup. And I said, neither have I. I'm not going in. And finally, I lost the argument. Went down and somebody was banging on our front door. Cracked the door open enough to see this very tall, large man. He grumbled in a deep bass voice, Are you Carl Hafner? <laughs> That all depends. <laughs> Who are you? He explained, I'm here to serve you with papers. And with that, he handed me a stack of papers as thick as my Bible, explaining that we were being sued for 20-some thousand dollars for an accident that we had been involved in some two and a half years prior to that. Now, at that point, when he handed me the stack of papers, I had a choice. He disappeared. I could have tossed the stack of papers into the recycling bin in the kitchen, returned to bed, and explained to my wife, it was nothing, some drunk knocking on the wrong door. I could have done that, but intuitively I knew. Wouldn't have been very wise, agreed? I knew. The day of judgment would come. And even though it was a holiday, I spent that whole day on New Year's Day that year calling every attorney friend I had, asking, what do I need to do to prepare for my day in court? And as it turned out, I was thankful the insurance company took care of it. They won about half of what they were trying to get. I don't remember the details, but the day of judgment came. The day of judgment is sure, and Scripture is clear. We are all guilty. That's the bad news. Now, the good news. Colossians 2, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We're in verses 13 to 15, and then a few verses from chapter 3 as well in Colossians. Our second word, the whole shebang, three words, guilt. Second word, grace. Grace, verse 13, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the written code 
with its regulations that was against us, that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. You understand what the apostle is telling us here. That when we submit our list, remember we had our lists before, when we submit it to God, He nails it to the cross, the Scriptures tell us. Taking away our sin, bleeding forgiveness from that cross over everything that we have done, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them, By the cross. See, there is this exchange. My guilt for His grace so that I get what He deserves because Jesus Christ took upon Himself what you and I deserve. That's grace. This exchange so that we stand perfect in His righteousness because of what He has done. Remember those old Sunday afternoon picnics? Pastor, get up in church on Sabbath morning and invite everybody. Come to the park tomorrow morning down Sycamore Park. Bring your own sack lunch. Should be a lot of fun. Well, last minute Sunday morning, you decide you wouldn't mind going to that picnic. So you prepare quickly a lunch. Throw a couple of tired pieces of bread together and have just enough mayonnaise to scrape up your knuckles getting after it. Find a rusty head of lettuce and a couple of slices of old bologna. You throw that sandwich together, put it in the paper sack. You're off to the picnic to do the fun things we love to do at church picnics. Three-legged race and egg toss and so on. Till lunch comes, pastor calls everybody together and offers a blessing. And off you walk to the shadows in the park toward a rickety picnic table with your lunch. You sit down at that old picnic table. Pull out that sandwich. Doesn't look very appetizing. You're just getting ready to bite into the bologna when out of the corner of your eye you spot something that looks like a Norman Rockwell painting. It's a little grandma complete with a white bun on the back of her head. She is hauling behind her a picnic basket the size of a Volkswagen bug walking toward your picnic table. And wouldn't you know it, she comes to your table, unfolds a red and white checkered gingham tablecloth right up next to your elbow and starts pulling out of her basket blueberry cobbler and blackberry pie and hot dogs, potato salad, chips and dip. It is a feast that defies the senses. And there you sit, clutching your bologna. Just then, Grandma glances your direction and says, what do you say we just sort of throw it all together? I got plenty of pie and too much cobbler for me to eat. Lots of sandwiches and hot dogs. Besides, she says, I just love bologna sandwiches. So you came as a pauper, but you eat like a princess or a prince. So there you sit at the rickety picnic table of your life, clutching all of your bologna, 
Your list stretches longer than Interstate 5. God comes to your table, unfolds a white linen tablecloth right up next to your elbow, glances your direction and says, what do you say we sort of throw it all together? Need courage? I can give you courage. Need forgiveness? I have more forgiveness than you could ever use up in one lifetime. And so there is this exchange. My sin for his sinlessness. Your guilt for his grace. Even though you deserve to be treated as a pauper, he treats you as a valued child of God. That's good news, isn't it? That's grace. We get what Jesus deserves. He takes upon himself what we deserve. Nailing it to the cross, we stand perfect before our judge. My favorite statement from the pen of Ellen White, from Desire of Ages, Christ was treated as we deserve that we might be treated as he deserves. He was condemned for our sins, in which he had no share, that we might be justified by his righteousness, in which we had no share. He suffered the death which was ours, that we might receive the life which was his. With his stripes, we are healed. We are righteous children of the Heavenly Father. Yesterday morning I was reading this wonderful book. And there's just so much good stuff in it that I thought I'd share a couple of paragraphs from it. It's uh, general editor Alan Andrews. But the reason I bought it is because one of the contributing authors is Dallas Willard, who I love, a professor down at USC. And it's really a, a think tank of people who have done a lot of serious thinking around this whole idea of kingdom life. And I was reading this just yesterday where he was talking about that really is our status and we need to understand that, that we are righteous because of the sacrifice of Christ. And we need to see ourselves as God sees us. So let me read you a little bit. He writes, We're not in charge of our sainthood. Our sainthood has already been accomplished by our loving Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, when Christians are able to see themselves as saints who sin, as Christ in me creatures, as clothed with robes of righteousness, they have the only basis to grow up into what is already true of them. God says we are righteous. And this becomes the context or the condition that allows Christ to dwell in us. If my vision of what I can become is based on my vision of who Jesus says I already am, righteous, I can relax and mature into something that I already am. When we trust God, our self-identity builds on His assessment, not ours, on his righteousness, not our own righteousness. 
He then goes on to illustrate, saying, sometimes we lose our grip on who God has made us to be. But we have to remember the butterfly. Nature provides many examples of this incredible discrepancy between who we appear to be and who we truly are. Consider the caterpillar. If we brought a caterpillar to a biologist and asked him to analyze it and describe its DNA, he would tell us, I know this looks like a caterpillar, but scientifically... According to every test, including DNA, this is fully and completely a butterfly. Wow! God has wired into a creature that looks nothing like a butterfly, a perfectly complete butterfly identity. And because the caterpillar is a butterfly in essence, it will one day display the behavior and attributes of a butterfly. The caterpillar matures into what already is true about it. In the meantime, berating the caterpillar for not being more like a butterfly is not only futile, it will probably hurt his tiny ears. So it is with us. God has given us the DNA of godliness. We are saints, righteous. Nothing we could do will make us more righteous than we already are. Nothing we could do will alter this reality. He knows that we are Christ in me. And now he is asking us to join him in what he knows is true. Because we accept what Christ has done on the cross, we stand righteous before him. That's who we are. That is our identity because of grace. But we need three words. The whole shebang, three words. Guilt, we're all guilty. Grace, we are righteous because of the exchange at the cross. Third word, growth. See, we mature like a caterpillar matures into becoming what he already is, a butterfly. So, Paul goes on in this wonderful passage in Colossians to explain how we are now called to mature into the likeness of Christ. We are to grow to become more and more like Jesus. Colossians 3, we'll take a few verses here. Verse 1, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Rid yourselves of such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. You don't have to live under that bondage of sin anymore, Paul explains. But set your mind, your heart, on things above. Verse 12, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. See, we are called now to grow into the character of Christ.
The whole gospel, three words, guilt, grace, and growth. Let me give you the whole shebang in closing, put a little skin on the concept for us by giving you the whole shebang in one story. One of my favorite stories to tell. That of Bob and Karen, who grew up as derelicts of sorts in Southern California. Bob really didn't have much of a job. Karen worked part-time in the back of a sweatshop sewing motorcycle jackets. Well, as they share their story, Bob walked into the back of that sweatshop one afternoon. He noticed Karen, and not being one to beat around the bush, he said to her, I find myself irresistibly attracted to you. What do you say? Maybe we move in together. Karen said, sure. So they started living together. Well, things were going along just fine. That is, until one morning, out of the blue, Karen said, I think this weekend we ought to go to church. Bob said, we're not church people. We're not going to church. I know, but... Maybe just this one week. They argued back and forth until finally they struck a compromise. Bob said, fine, if you'll let me get a little bit more sleep, I'll go to church with you this weekend. Karen was so excited about it, she got up, started flipping through the yellow pages, discovered a church with a peculiar name, Seventh-day Adventist. And she wondered if the seventh day maybe meant that they met on Saturday instead of Sunday. So she called. And sure enough, can you believe that? There's a church that actually meets on the seventh day of the week rather than the first day. So she explained to Bob, listen, we're going to church a day earlier. She was so excited about this. She said, we're going on Saturday instead of Sunday. And Bob was fine with that because he didn't even know that most churches meet on Sunday. He didn't care. (laughs) Saturday morning, they come rumbling into the parking lot, walked into that little Adventist church in Southern California, smelling of things they shouldn't have been smoking, breath reeking of stuff they shouldn't have been drinking, walking in in their motorcycle leathers into that small little foyer of the church to be greeted by an elderly woman who had been working there in the foyer as a greeter in the church for over 40 years. When she saw them, she asked, Oh, are you visiting today? How did you ever know? They said, yes. Oh, perfect. Come, come with me. We have a class just for you. And she ushered them into the back of the sanctuary where the elder was just beginning his Sabbath school lesson that day. Before he started into the formal lesson, though, he just threw a question out there asking, anybody have a question before we begin? Bob's hand shot up. Yes, you. Yeah, I want to know, why is it that God kills little babies? Who? Okay, kind of caught the teacher off guard a bit, but then he launched into this impromptu Bible study about why there is evil if God is so good, and toward the end he glanced Bob's direction and said, does that help clarify it all? And Bob said, yes, thank you very much. And they went on with the lesson. They came back the next week and the next week and the next week until finally Karen said to Bob, I think this coming Saturday we ought to stay for church. They had only gone to Sabbath school up to this point, and Bob said, I like a lot of those people down there. I'd be happy to stay with you for church. So they stayed that week, but wouldn't you know it? 
That was the one week during the year that the pastor was preaching on stewardship. And understand, when he preached on stewardship, he really preached. He didn't hold anything back. He started ranting and raving and yelling at the saints, saying, if you want to experience God's blessing in your life, you got to tithe. The reason a lot of you don't know anything about God's blessing is because you're not paying an honest tithe. If you want to experience a blessing, you got to pay tithe. Well, that week, as they were lying in bed, Karen said out of the blue to Bob, I think we ought to start paying tithe. And Bob said, on what? (laughs) You You need income in order to pay tithe. She said, well, I know, but sometimes... I make a little bit of money and you make a little bit of money. He says, well, if you want to pay a tithe on what you make, I guess that's your business. And Karen was insistent, resolute. You are the preacher, man. The reason we don't really understand God's blessing and we don't receive God's blessing is because we're not really paying an honest tithe. Well, all right. So that week, as they tell their own testimony, As the deacons came by and passed the offering plate down the pew, Bob put a little bit of money in the tithe envelope. During the 11 o'clock divine hour, in the middle of the church service, as the offering plate came by, he took that tithe envelope, stood up in the middle of the church, shook the envelope at God and said, Okay, God, now do your stuff. Put it in the plate, passed it on down the pew. But that week, no blessing. And Bob was quick to point out, see, doesn't work. No, Karen insisted, you got to be patient. So the next week, same drill, same scene. Okay, God, do your stuff. Pass it on. No blessing the next week. Week after week until Bob said, this is ridiculous. We're not getting God's blessing. We need to stop paying tithe. She said, well, you're not paying tithe. If you ever make any money here or there, maybe we ought to start paying an honest tithe. Maybe that's the problem. And Bob said, okay, we'll try it one week. But if it doesn't work, we're not tithing anything anymore. Deal? They struck up a deal. So next week, they paid a little more Bob's meager income. Sure enough, his business doubled almost to the penny. And so the next week, paid an honest tithe, it doubled again and again and again, week after week after week, 13 weeks in a row. Understand, now the business is growing exponentially, doubling and doubling and doubling and doubling until Bob became one of the most lucrative marijuana dealers in all of Southern California. (laughs) Hallelujah, amen? (laughs) Next Sabbath... As they were coming out of church, they said to the pastor, we we really need to talk to you. We got a little bit of a problem. And pastor set up a time and said, I'd love to have you come by. They came by his office that week. And pastor said, now what's the problem? And Bob said, well, we've been doing that tithing deal you were talking about. And oh, man, it really... 
works. You know, God just kept blessing us and doubling my business week after week. And pastor said, well, you know, what's the problem? What kind of business do you run? And Bob said, well, I'm agricultural business. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm a farmer of sorts. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. He said, well, um, truthfully, I grow pot. And the pastor said, oh, okay, we got a little bit of a problem here. And Bob said, oh, I, I know. I know this. I know this doesn't honor God. We just want a total life change. We're wondering if you could help us out. Oh, we want to get married, we want to get baptized, and we really need to get out of this whole area because we just have way too many friends that pull us in a direction we don't want to go anymore. And we're wondering if you could help us get out of town. And Pastor said, I'd be so honored to journey with you in that. And so he performed the wedding, and they got baptized, and they helped him pack up their few possessions into the back of a U-Haul trailer. And they moved from Southern California up to Rockford, uh, Oregon, where uh, the last I heard, in fact, I told this story at Camp Myvedon Family Camp just Friday morning. And there was somebody there who knew Bob and Karen and knew them quite well. And he said, that really is their story. I've never met them. I've just heard the story. Dick Dirksen's told the story a lot. And I've told the story a lot. I love their story. But uh, the most recent update I got on Bob and Karen is that they are active members volunteering in the youth division of the church there in the Portland area. And I just love their story because it's the whole shebang uh, in their lives. And really, it's your story. It's my story. Guilty? Ah, You may not be a marijuana dealer, but you're every bit as guilty as Bob or Karen or anybody else. Wages of sin is death. Grace? It's as simple as God. I accept your righteousness, and we are righteous because of Christ. And then growth. To see us growing into the likeness of Jesus. And that is my prayer as we journey together this week at this camp meeting. I hope you can come to each installment as we lift up Jesus and as we try to focus our minds on the gospel story and become more and more like him. Father in heaven, that is our prayer collectively. We just want to commit ourselves to accepting what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. We are humbled and we are thankful And that is the only reason we gather. And so, God, we say thank you for the cross. And we just pray now that you would help us and remind us of who we are as your righteous children. And would help us to just remain in the shadow of the cross. Thank you for taking away all of our sin by your grace. And thank you for the hope that we share. That someday we will live eternally with you. Thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.